That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Work Party, the mini-sode. In these mini-sodes, we'll be sitting down with some of the many brilliant women who have work partied their way to the top. We'll be asking for their best entrepreneurial advice for women like you, creating and cultivating the career of their dreams. Whether you're running the show or balancing your side hustle, we are giving you the real talk business advice you need. Beat Career FOMO with LinkedIn. LinkedIn makes it easier than ever to find fresh opportunities and to meet professionals looking to hire people just like you. It's important to always keep your network active and constantly seek new opportunities and possibilities. We're proud to have partnered with LinkedIn for season one of Work Party because they're all about making game-changing career connections, and so are we. Today's Work Party mini-sode is coming to you live from our Work Party tour stop in Austin, Texas. We are here with Kendra Scott. Kendra is the chairman, CEO, and lead designer of Kendra Scott. She's also been named by Forbes as one of the richest self-made women. Let's head down to Austin, Texas, and hear the full story on how Kendra built her empire. So your story is so inspiring, uh, you know, and we'll get into a lot of it. But I want to just start off with young Kendra. Oh, God. <laughs> Were you just... I'm glad over- there's no photos. That's all I am. <laughs> I'm looking around like We're going to go back to that. your childhood. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but were you always like, I'm a go-getter. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Or were you thinking, you know, I'm just going to have a career. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to have a job. <laughs> what was your vibe? So so I um, was legally blind in my right eye, honest to God. I had these huge bottle-thick glasses. Um, if any of you lived in the 90s, I had really bad hair. Um, and I was a little awkward and, you know, whatever. But I loved fashion, right? And I grew up in a town in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is not exactly the fashion mecca of the world. Okay, let's be honest. If you go there now, like 1995, time has stood still. (laughs) Um, Love Kenosha, but my mom's family was farmers and coal miners. And, you know, the hardest working people on the planet. But I had this aunt who was a fashion director of a department store in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And she would go to all the shows and she would bring back slides from these shows, like the old turnstile. I'm dating myself. You people are like, what? (laughs) 
are you speaking these like this is language you speak of of slides it wasn't your phone no we had no phones and we'd sit there and we'd look at all these slides of Carolina Herrera and Oscar de la Renta and I just remember being a little girl in Wisconsin in a place that people did not grow up to be fashion designers knowing that to me this was magic and if there was any way I could grow up to even have a taste of the magic that my aunt was experiencing, that that would be amazing. And so I had big dreams that really seemed very unrealistic from you know where I grew up. But is it crazy to you to think now that you're one of those names? That there's some girl in, in Wisconsin that's like, I just want to be like Kendra Scott? I, it, I can't even, <laughs> honestly, I, I think it's just so awesome, though, because I think that any little girl, no matter where you are or where you come from, anything in life is possible. And I want girls today to dream big and whether it's they want to be a fashion designer or the president of the United States or whatever it is they have their hearts set on I hope you know there's so many now inspiring female stories out there that show these little girls that yeah don't let somebody tell you it's impossible like my little quote says there's possibility and impossible absolutely and so one of the things I love about you is that obviously you're super super successful but you're not afraid to talk about failure the things that went wrong early on um and i actually found this out on your how i how i built this or episode where you talked about your first company the hatbox and i had no idea and listening to it i was like yes yes like i was like oh my god i had no idea that she had it's gone so, through this right he loved to bring out like everything i did wrong it was <laughs> like he's like so you're a college dropout and your first business failed and you got divorced and you were i'm like Gee, guys, Go for the this jugular. is awesome. Let's, this is fun. Let's talk about it. But it, it really was good because I think, you know, and, I, and we talked about this earlier tonight, is that all these things that we go through in our life, there's a lot of hard stuff that happens sometimes in our life. Um, you know, whether that's issues with family or health issues or business. And I think for me, you know, all of those experiences, the failure of my first business was honestly the greatest gift I ever was given. At the time, it really sucked. Like, there's nothing about it that was, like, fun. But in retrospect, I needed that business. I learned so much from that business. You know, I always say it was like getting a master's in the school of hard knocks. I mean, it really was everything that I needed, all the tools I needed to set me up for the next thing I was going to do. And if I hadn't gone through that, if I hadn't lived that really tough time in my life, I would never been, be sitting here today talking to you. And so I think, you know, we, as all of us go through our life, all these things that happen to us is in, it's unique. Your life story is your life story. Mine is mine. But there's a reason that we're going through these moments in our own lives. And I think when we can take and transcend all those moments and to do something positive and move forward with them in a really amazing way, you own that and nobody else can take that away from you. And that's a really amazing thing. So hindsight's 2020, and now looking back, it's obviously been this amazing experience. But how did you get the confidence to go back and do it again? You know, it was, um, I, I closed my first, so my first company was a hat company, for those of you that don't know that. I lost my stepfather to brain cancer, and he was the inspiration for me to start my first business, which was headwear for women undergoing chemotherapy. 
And so here I had closed my first business after five years of trying to make this work. I had all these grand visions that I was going to open hat stores all over the world and that women would start wearing hats again. Does anyone in the room have a hat? No. Clearly that didn't work out. One person in the front. No. No. Okay. I love you. You were my one customer. Thank you for wearing a hat. Um, And so, you know, after five years of working seven days a week, open to close in my little hat boutique, I had to close it down. And I had lost my stepfather at this point. And it really was like the lowest, lowest point. And I think, you know, at the time it was like, okay, I have two options. I have to either get a job or I have to move back in with my mother. I got a job. I love my mom. (laughs) She makes the meanest chicken noodle soup in the world. But moving back in with mom at that stage of my life was not ideal. (laughs) So I'm like, I got to get a job. And I got a job. But while I was doing this, I there were customers calling me because I was making jewelry in my hat store. And I would just like make these pieces and put them in my case and they would sell the day I put them in the case. But I was so determined that the hat thing was the thing that was gonna work that I wasn't paying attention to the thing that was working. So here I am getting a job and people are calling me going, Kendra, I'd love a pair of earrings with the necklace I bought from your hat store. Could you make it for me? My sister really wants a necklace like yours. Can I? So I'm starting to continue to make jewelry and it kind of was this aha moment of what I wanted other women would also want. And I thought, you know, let's give this a chance. And it really wasn't until I had, I was pregnant with my first son that I I had to take leave off from my job. And I was put on bed rest with him. And I made a little collection of jewelry during that time. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, this ain't half bad, folks. (laughs) What was that? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) This ain't half bad. And I thought, you know, then I was given this baby. Like, then I had the baby three months later. And then, whoa, talk about a change of plans, folks. (laughs) You know, everything you think is important. Everything, you think you know everything in your 20s. You're just, yeah, you're so smart. 27, I was like, "Mm -mm." I had a baby, and then I was like, I am a mother. And being a mom became the most important thing I did. And that was all the motivation I needed was how can I be a present, wonderful mom? How can I still be in fashion, which I've wanted to do since that basement in Kenosha, Wisconsin? And how can I make my stepfather proud and do something good in the process? And that was the foundation for starting Kendra Scott. And it makes perfect sense because, one, you can't manufacture momentum. And there was clearly momentum around the jewelry. You just weren't paying attention to it earlier at first. Um, and, and really that, that motivation, which was your child. So I think you, you have to pay attention to the signals, right? Like what's working and then go there. So you have 500 bucks. You start this company. What was day one like when you registered that company? So I, I literally, I went and got, got a DBA. I went, you know, down here in Austin, Texas. I got my doing business as, you know, Kendra Scott Design, Inc. <laughs> we were like big time. I created little uh, purchase orders on my Word, like Word document. Literally, I did some fancy whatever they had font for my first font. I printed out some order forms. I mean, this is legit. I put my jewelry in a wooden tea box that a friend had given uh, us for our wedding. And I took Cade, my son, he was three months old, and I stuck him in a baby Bjorn. 
And uh, we went store to store in Austin. And I brought my little order forms. And, you know, the first store said no. Like, sorry, we're not. And, I, and then I had to get the courage to go into the next store and the next store. And I always joke that, like, I don't know if they love the jewelry or they just felt sorry for me. Like, <laughs> bring a baby to your sales calls. I highly recommend it. <laughs> It's not a bad tool, okay? That he is cute, he was adorable. But they looked at the jewelry, I wrote orders, and I mean, literally that day, I came home with four orders, and I had to sell all of my samples so that I would have enough money to buy the supplies I needed to fill my orders, because I did not have enough money to buy the supplies at that point. And so it was that basic, but coming home and turning a profit on the first day, it's like, I was like, all right, we got a business. Like, we're in business, and if I can do this day one, I could continue to do this, and it was that human touch. It was me getting in front of these people and explaining to them why my product was different and why I cared, and talking to them from a retailer's perspective, going, I've been in retail, and I know how hard this is, and if you don't sell my product, I'm gonna bring you something else that will sell, because I'm here, I'm your partner, and I'm gonna make sure this works for you. Retailers didn't hear that, nobody said that to them, but I had sit, sat in their shoes for five years trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to pay bills. So it was a really unique perspective to start the business from that point of view. So eventually your pieces land uh, at, with Oscar de la Renta and, and they were featured in his spring 2006 runway show. How did that happen? <laughs> Walk us through that. This is a really fun story actually. Um, we, we were very small. We um, were selling to Nordstrom and we had a new buyer come in and Nordstrom decided they really wanted to kind of take out designer, a lot of designer labels and go direct to manufacturing. They wanted to do private label, Nordstrom label. And so a lot of these small designers, including myself, they were like, you know, we're gonna take a couple seasons off, which for me is like everything. And I was trying to figure out like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to go and tell my team, which there's like seven of us, that we don't have Nordstrom. Like, I don't even know how we're gonna do this. I don't know how we're gonna pay our rent. I'm begging the new buyer to please just let me talk to her, trying to figure out what to do, and literally the phone rings. And it is this woman with an accent, and she asks for me, My one of the girls walks in, she goes, there's somebody calling you, they're saying they're from Oscar de la Renta's office. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. And I have a lot of like, friends who love to play jokes on me. Like, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I have a lot of friends that will just do about anything to just kind of, they're, they're nice, but they're mean in their own way. You know what I'm talking about. That's when you know they really love you is when they like, eh. So I'm like, okay, it's one of my friends. And so I get on the phone, I'm like, oh, hi, Oscar de la Renta's office. Like, who is this? She's like, hello, is this Miss Scott? Like, um, Mr. de la Renta would really love to speak with you. Could you come into, I'm, I don't, I'm doing botching this accent, <laughs> but could you get me here in the morning? And I'm like, who is this? Like, that's what I said. And at that moment, I was never forget it. Uh, Denise comes in, she goes, it's a 212 area code. <laughs> It's someone calling it's from New York. It's real. Like yeah. the big city, they're calling from New York. And I'm like, um, and then I'm like, oh crap, you know, maybe I'm, and she's like, no, 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 I'm, you know, I wish I could remember her name. It's like Daniela or something really <laughs> fabulous. And she was really from Oscar de la Renta. This is before we had like caller ID, you guys. Like we had a very basic phone. It was not like, oh, Oscar de la Renta calling. You know, it wasn't like that. So I went in the morning and I, I went to his offices. I put it on my credit card. I still avoided telling my team about Nordstrom. 
I just thought this was a piece of information I could share after I returned from New York. And maxed out my credit card to get there, maxed it out to buy like this little knockoff Chanel looking suit. And I get to his office and his design studio has like these desks lined up and there's like a runway like this and he's at the end. And he's like pinning a dress on Naomi Campbell. <laughs> and he has like his glasses. Yes, this is like legit, you guys. She's like a goddess. And I'm standing here and it's like surreal world. And his assistant like whispers in his ear, and he like puts his glasses and he nudges Naomi Campbell aside. <laughs> and he's like, oh, the lovely Miss Scott. And I'm like. <laughs> and he like beckons me to like walk towards him. And honest to God, you guys, it was like cement filled my little cheap high heels <laughs> that I had bought my like. And I was like, Kendra, you know how to walk, like walk, like walk. And I, I finally like, oh, like got there. And um, you know, he talked with me and basically one of his interns had worn a necklace of mine. He asked her where, who it was. She said it was a designer out of Texas named Kendra Scott. She bought it at Nordstrom. And he said, I like what she's doing. That's the kind of vibe I'm looking for for this season. And so he said, look, I've got six designers all working on this right now. You have 72 hours to send me your samples. Um, I don't know if anything will make it on the runway. You can look at all of our lookbooks while you're here today, and I wish you the best of luck, basically is what I got. And then I said, okay, Mr. De La Renta, and, and he was very sweet. He said, you know, I said, yes, sir, you know, yes, Mr. De La Renta, like, I understand, and I'll, you know, get what you need. And he looked at me and he said, smiled, and he goes, we have a lady in our sights today. And he said, um, I think the Texas, you know, I was very proper. Yeah. I think I bowed immediately. <laughs> I was like, yes, God. I would, you bow. Yes. What do you want? I'll you do anything. And bowed. Yes. <laughs> it's like being in the presence of the king. I don't know. And, um, and I said, sir, you know, I said, I'm a young designer. This is where I'm at. I said, do you have any advice? you'd love to, like, to just give me. I would just, you're everything. You're like my idol. And about an hour later, he was still talking to me. And he said to me, very few people have asked him for advice because they were afraid to, because he's Mr. De La Renta. You don't ask Mr. De La Renta for advice. And we had a really great conversation. He was such a generous, kind-hearted, amazing human. And it ended up, we did samples. Our team worked nonstop. We shipped those samples off and we waited. And the head of Vogue, the accessories editor for Vogue called me and I sent 52 samples, 47 of them made it on the runway. We were the entire show. It was ridiculous. Amazing. Yeah. And then guess who wanted to carry our line again? Nordstrom! Christ! Did yeah. you have to ever tell your team? Yes, uh, I did. They know the story. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, because there was a little lag. We had to we had to play with how yeah. we were floating money there. You for just a sent them bit. the Vogue article. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, Everyone know, if you're a startup business, you know about floating the checks. Yeah, that's a real thing. So cut to now. I mean, 2006, seven employees. Oscar De La Renta, crazy. How many employees do you have now? Over 2,000. 
2,000 employees. It's crazy. And over 95% are women. Yes! So, badass women. <laughs> you can cuss. Um, so I can I, cuss here, right? We're not on like... Okay. Well, so ass really cutting, like cussing though? I don't know if it is. <laughs> so we got to know each other. We threw a dinner at your beautiful headquarters here in Austin a couple years ago. And you guys, the offices are gorgeous. There's a nail salon. There's an insane snack closet. I'm pretty sure I stole stuff. Uh, it, it's really, really amazing. I know. Like, could you return all those cheeses you took? <laughs> I'm like, here you go. But... It was such an incredible environment to be in. It was something I really took away, took away from it was like, this is someplace you want to be. Tell us about your intention in building the office and your leadership style. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, we started out of my extra bedroom. I very quickly realized as we were shipping and packing orders from my dining room table that we needed to expand. Our first office was in an attic space uh, in a little Victorian house on 6th Street where the Thunder Club subs offices are. We had the attic, if you ever see that building. Um, that was all we could afford, but we thought we were like making it. We had an office. Um, then we moved down to Penfield, and then we moved to South Congress, and now we have this facility on 38th and Lamar. And it's been, I don't know, for a lot of you, it's been 17 years since I started. So that baby is almost going to be 17. In November, he turned 17 years old, and he's like over six foot tall. Um, and I think as I was developing this business, it was always family, fashion, philanthropy. I was a mom before I was a CEO and a designer, and I wanted to create an environment that supported other mothers and, and fathers, and that you could be a, a present parent, and you could have a great career. So in part of designing like the Kendra Scott utopia of an office was what do we need as women and as parents to help facilitate our life to make it better and more balanced and more happy. And so that was really what we put into the office from we don't have time as working moms or working women a lot of times to go get our nails done. So if you can walk down the hall, it's a lot more convenient, right? Uh, we want to have healthy food options. We wanted to have mothers nursing areas where moms could bring their babies up and have mother milk refrigerators and we've got the bags up there and you know we have fitness facilities we have classes we have all these different things that you can be doing within your work life to make your life more happy and I think you know this is what a, a, to me a modern day work environment should be and if employers can respect their employees and allow them to live a happy balanced meaningful life they will be there for you in ways you can't even imagine so speaking of team members i think hiring can be the hardest when growing a business what are your tips to building a successful team and then keeping team members long term so the seven, I call them the super seven, they're all still with me today. So um, I, we took a picture recently and there were eight people in the picture and I'm, I keep, I never counted myself. <laughs> so we're, we're the grade eight. We, we can't change it to the grade eight. But uh, the super seven are also with me. And I think the reason is because we have unbelievable respect and love for each other. We've created an environment that is supportive and it's a sisterhood. It really is a sisterhood. We root for each other, we're there for each other, we have each other's back, and we do not allow bullying at Kendra Scott. I am the principal of that high school and there is no bullying allowed. And if you have that personality, you don't work for me. 
if you're loving, if you're kind, if you're uh, thoughtful, you'll work at Kendra Scott. And we hire on heart before we hire on resume because I can teach skills. But I can't teach heart. Mm -mm. Everyone's like applying for a job right now on their phone. <laughs> so the company is valued at a billion dollars. Let's just a billion dollars. A billion dollars. The only B I knew before that was bankruptcy. So this is <laughs> from this bankruptcy is a big, to billion. A big improvement. No, I never, I never filed bankruptcy, but believe me, there were days. So obviously, the, with the growth, you had to bring on investors and, and do things like that. What was that process like for you, and why, why, was, why did you make that decision? So I didn't bring on my first investor until eight years into the business. So I bootstrapped this baby on credit card debt and lines of credit. I put everything I owned up for collateral. I mean, I honestly think the pairs of shoes I had on were up for collateral. I mean, I was just like, yeah, okay, put that on there. It was so hard. And for a lot of that time, I was a single mom. So I got divorced and the boys were one and three, so I was a single mom during a lot of that time. That was really hard because failure was not an option for, you know, I had to make this business work. And bringing on investors was scary to me because I thought that that would mean I would lose control of what would happen. And I think once I understood that bringing the right people around the table can help you grow even more and, and faster and smarter and all those things, it really opened things up to me. And so my first investor was a mentor, was an advisor. And because I didn't have a typical board, because I had no investors, I created an advisory board. And I think that's a, such a smart thing to do because it gives you a cadence to run like a real business. So you have quarterly meetings, you're talking about your earnings, you're understanding what you're doing. And one of those advisors said, please, Kendra, let me invest in your company. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. But I loved him. And I respected him so much as a person. And he was somebody I'd always admired. And I felt safe to bring him across the table. And so I, I sold 5% of equity um, to him. And he's still involved with my company today. And that was my first kind of foray in. And it was great because then a year later, when we brought in an, a PE firm, which was NVP, uh, a woman-led, really great team, um, we were in a place where I had somebody who really understood that side of the table to help me negotiate that contract. And I was so thankful that I did. And they were the right fit for us at that time and really helped us grow to then what we did in you know 2016, which was the, the Berkshire deal. And I still am majority shareholder of Kendra Scott. So, you know, we had this big valuation and, and, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, are you going to like just ride off into the sunset? <laughs> or, and this is my love. This is who I am. I mean, I wake up every day and I can't wait to get to the office. So it was still really important to me that I could control our destiny. And I'm creating something that I want my children and my grandchildren to be proud of. And it's much more to me than a number, you know. I can't believe the number, but I can't get my head around it. But it's just a number, and it doesn't change how I operate the company at all. Absolutely. And so we probably have a lot of female entrepreneurs here, people starting companies. When it comes to raising money, what's your advice? I mean, you waited eight years, which I think is, is great but rare. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people take on money really early. What's your feeling on that? You know, I think what I talked about with when you're hiring people, 
I mean, look at the look at the heart. Think of this as like, I mean, you are getting into a very big relationship. And you want to know what those people are like, not on their good day when they're selling you. You want to know what they look like on their bad day. So it's important to get references. It's important to talk to people that they have invested in and say, please tell me your experience with them. What happened when things didn't go well? How did they react across the table? Were they collaborative? Were they supported? And the number one thing is have a very clearly aligned vision. You need to know where you want to go with the company and they have to 100% be on the same page. If they're 90% on the same page and there's 10% that they're like, well, we'll just see, maybe later you'll change your mind about that or we'll talk about that later. You have got to be 100% aligned. And that's the most important thing because there will be times there's going to be some bumps in the road. And if everyone knows, okay, this is our destination, this is a bump, but we're going to stay focused on where we're headed, you'll get there much better. So you're a solo founder and, and the face of your company. What are some of the challenges and, and some of the rewards of, of doing it on your own, at least in the early days? You know, I think... Being alone gets scary sometimes, and you know what I've really found about bringing in uh, partners into the business is now I have other people to sometimes talk to to say, well, I'm worried about this, or do you have advice about this, or what should we do about this? And we have really smart people that are putting their heads together. I think in the early days, especially you know when you're first starting out, I felt like I had to prove myself, and I had to have all the answers. And I would go into a room, and I think I would be like, I can't show that I'm vulnerable you know, or that I don't know something. And I think, you know, as a, a female founder, sometimes we have to be able to say, look, I may not know the answer to that question, but I'm going to bring a really smart people around me, or I'm going to have really great mentors or advisors who can help me. Anybody starting a business should be able to do those things. And I think that's really important, especially in those early days. And, you know, I mean, I look back at that person and the person today, and I'm like, you know, she... I just have become a lot more honest about not being afraid to say, I don't know. It's okay to say that, and it's okay to ask for help. And I think asking for help is the greatest sign of strength. So one of the things that we say... I got an amen! I like it! <laughs> we can just end now. No. Um, one of the things we say um, at Create and Cultivate is that behind every great woman are great women, and women supporting each other. And you've obviously been such a support to me um, personally, but... Who are some women in your life that have supported you, whether they're mentors or just people you admire? Yes. Well, I mean, you know, my mom, I, we all talk about our moms, but my mom, you know, literally came from a family of farmers and coal miners. She, you know, didn't have a college education. She started selling Mary Kay cosmetics out of our basement of our house. She became a director. She even got a pink car. I mean, I she watched... Got the Cadillac? Yeah. You do not want her picking you up in school in that. Let they me just switch say, to Mini Coopers. people make fun of you when your mom shows up. It was a Buick. She didn't oh, get the Cadillac. The best. But it was, it was like, it, it was Barbie pink. It was, but I was so amazed by her because she had the initiative literally going door to door, literally building a network, picking up the phone, showing me what fearless meant. And she didn't let her lack of education or any of those things stand her back. She found out what she needed to learn and she went after it and she did it. And I was so inspired by her. My Aunt Joanne, who you know was also a single mom and fashion director, started as a sales clerk in a department store and worked her way up to fashion director. I mean, 
these women were such incredible inspirations to me and continue to be. And I think, you know, as women, when we hold hands, we are so much stronger. And what I love that is happening today is that women are realizing that. Like, let's not put each other down. Let's lift each other up. And, right? And we are competing against the world. We are competing against the world. So let us hold hands and find success together. Learn from each other. Share best practices. And watch out when that happens. Because it's amazing what women can do when we hold hands. So we're going to spread the wealth of information that you have. We're going to do a few audience Q&As after we finish some sentence finishers. So get your questions ready. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so one piece of advice I would give my younger self. You know, I would say, uh, and this is, you know, kind of clear on what we talked about earlier, is that the, the failures can lead to successes. And I think when I was younger, when you're going through those moments, it is very hard to see, you know, your way through the storm sometimes. Um, but those things that are happening, I promise you, there will be a point in your life that you're going to go, aha, that's why I had to go through that. And I think when we're going through those things, learning and taking a 360 approach of why am I going through this right now? What is it that I'm going to need to be paying attention to? And pay attention. You know, we're living in a world right now where we're on our phones and we're consumed. People are walking down the street. You know, like you're in meetings with people and they're not even looking at you anymore. And I think if I could tell my, you know, younger self is just continue to be present and pay attention because there could be somebody in this room tonight that could change your life forever. My husband's in this room and I saw him across the room and if I had, at, at Mr. Chow in LA, if I had been looking at my phone as I walked to that dinner table, I would have missed my future. And you gotta pay attention sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> to be an entrepreneur in 2018, you need optimism. I think, you know, this is a, a, can be a scary, I think there's a lot of times in our lives there are scary times, right? But this isn't, there's a lot of uncertainty. I'm extremely optimistic. I'm extremely optimistic about the future, about the future of women in business, about what is happening with this movement of strength that I'm seeing in our country, with people who are finding their voices. I think this is an exciting, exciting time, and I'm extremely optimistic. And when I go through hard things, even in our company today, I'm like, okay, not great, but I'm always looking. I'm like, I don't say I'm a glass half full person. I'm a glass overflowing person. And I think if you can have that in your life, there will be days your cup will feel empty. And if you are glass overflowing, it'll fill up a lot quicker. The best employees are the ones who are aligned with your vision. I think, you know, then share your core values. You know, my employees share my heart. They share, you know, what's important. And we always know what's important. We know our communities are important. We know that giving back is important. We know that our families are important. And we know that we want to design amazing products and create unbelievable experiences for our customers. We are aligned. There is not one person in our company that will not tell you probably those same exact things, maybe in different order. And I think that's really important to have, an aligned vision and share your core values. If they don't have either one of those things, they shouldn't be on your team. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part Career Manifesto, part practical business advice, 
Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned, and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty-gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to season one of Work Party, the podcast. We've had so much fun interviewing these amazing badass businesswomen and hope you've been inspired and motivated to continue your own work party. Before we get into season two, we want to hear from you. Who do you want to hear on Work Party Podcast next? Let us know on social at Work Party and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. We'll be back soon, but be sure to visit WorkParty.com for endless inspiration. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.